Hey there, and welcome to Speak Easy with Kendra Fisher. Join me each week as my guests and I take a deep dive into all of the conversations we've been taught are better left unsaid. No more silence, no more hiding. This is a safe space where anything goes. This week on Speak Easy, we're going to the archives. During the pandemic, some friends and I sat down just to have some candid conversations, trying to stay connected and check in on one another. This conversation with Corey Hirsch, Olympic silver medalist, Stanley Cup champion, mental health advocate, was one of those conversations that happened at a time that, frankly, we just needed to be showing up for each other. Join us this week as we discuss everything from his newest diagnosis to who's better on the golf course. Corey, how are you doing, my friend? Yeah, I love it. Uh, You and I have some great conversations, and uh, you drive a golf ball further than I do. Which I, think I, I will never forget. I, I drive a golf ball better than you, but I might well, do I stop. Do I stop a puck better than you? That's the question. You probably did. Yeah. Or <laughs> you. Yeah. Yeah. If you see me play goal now. Uh, no, I just want to reiterate to whoever's listening out, out there or watching that uh, went golfing. We went golfing the one time. And I think it was a 475 or 480 yard par five. You drove the ball like 280 and then where it was uh, just off the green and two with another 200 yards. And I was uh, just like, huh, that's so that's how you do it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. We got to go again soon sometime. Well, well, you know, COVID and weather allowing permitting, we'll, uh, we'll get there. I'm going to come, I'm going to come take advantage of that uh, backyard hockey rink as soon as I can. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I don't even remember how we got connected. How did, I know it was mental health, but I mean, how did we get connected first? Do you remember? I think we went to, um, I believe it was the golf tournament. Um, oh, that's right. Legos golf that's right. And, uh, it was all, uh, it's a suicide prevention, uh, yeah. golf tournament where, uh, they raised money to prevent suicide. Uh, so like I'm all of your insecurities personified because oh, yeah. I just I just keep showing up on a golf course and <laughs> and you just get like a little worried and it's perfect and like you said right. then you're a better goalie than I was so no no I'll I'll take it only because I think everybody's ego could use a little boost right now but I don't know that I believe that oh you um, know what what else is great too is I've got another diagnosis in the last six months, so we can talk about that too as well. So that's I'm excited. Yeah, just add another ex- one. What is it? Tell us. I'm, you know, I am I have uh, a lot more severe ADD ADHD than I thought I was. Oh, okay. I didn't take it very seriously. This is my surprise face. Yeah, I didn't this take it very my... seriously. I thought, yeah. it was, oh, well, what's wrong with being like? energetic and all over the map there is a lot yeah. that comes with ADHD that I am learning about yeah but yeah so just add another few more letters on to the end of my uh <laughs> one of these days it's going to be PhD just by default by default right. somebody's going to hand us the honorary you yeah. know what you've you've lived through enough of the diagnosis between the two of yeah. you that that will just you guys can share this <laughs> I think so right uh, so awesome. For those of you, for those of you watching that don't know, I'm going to let Corey tell you a bit about his story. I mean, Corey, um, it, it sucks. You know, I keep having these conversations with goalies and we're really not like breaking down that goalies are just normal people like everybody else version very well. But, uh, Corey has a pretty extraordinary story as well. And, and I, I actually shared your players tribune. Um, Do you know anybody else that has a goalie mask in there? I mean, is that crazy enough in their living room? I love it. I love it. <laughs> right. I would too, but my four-year-old would put it on and ram my one and a half year old with it. And I'd have to deal with that. So we're not doing that. We gotta, we gotta hide the weapons. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so tell everybody a bit about you. I mean, uh, I, they can read your article, and I mean, everybody obviously knows the, the 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 superstar part of it, right? Like Olympic silver medalist, Team Canada goalie, uh, NHL goalie. Yeah, yeah. What's uh, what's the other part of the story? Expensive. Well, I mean, you know, I guess to start with the nuts and bolts of it is that um, I, I I always start with by telling people I had a great childhood. I, I, I have no complaints, no sexual abuse, no physical abuse, no like great parents grew up playing. Yeah. 
didn't have a lot of money, didn't grow up with a lot of money, right? Normal. But um, people always kind of connect mental illness with, okay, well, what happened when you were a kid, right? And look yeah. what happened when you were a child, and we'll get into that. And um, I mean, other, my childhood was pretty pretty normal, I would say. I mean, there was issues and things that were, weren't out of the realm of anybody else. But uh, when I was probably 21 years old, I believe, yeah, I think I was, I was 20, 21, just finished with the Olympics, uh, won a silver medal um, with Canada in Lillehammer in 94, uh, and was uh, uh, third goalie for the Rangers on the run to the Stanley Cup and winning the, the Stanley Cup that year. Um, went about in the second round of the playoffs, uh, we were playing Washington. And um, out of the no, out of nowhere, uh, you know, I some friends one night and I just get these ridiculously kind of thoughts that in, in my head, like I didn't, I didn't want them to be there. They were repetitive. They were, um, for me, they were shameful. They were um, something that I knew kind of, that I guess I would say I knew they weren't true. But one yeah. side of my brain is telling me they're true. One side of my brain, and it's an epic fight. And so, um, but after I would say uh, the Rangers win the Stanley Cup, and, and um, during that time came uh, with with all those thoughts, uh, just the tsunami wave of uh, anxiety, um, panic attacks, not knowing what was going on in my brain, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, trying to solve the riddle that's going on in my brain, repetitive. Uh, thoughts, um, words that I couldn't figure out and I didn't know what they were and, um, you know, debilitating for me. So I, I don't really get into the content of it at this point, I, you know, like uh, of what they were, but it was, uh, I eventually I'm diagnosed with OCD. But uh, after the uh, Rangers won the Stanley Cup, I blew out of there. Um, yeah. I went home having panic attacks, being what's going on. Like I spent time hiding from people. Yeah. Um, just trying to figure out what's going on uh, and um, went and saw a therapist um, because I thought that's what you do. Pointed to an ad mm -hmm. in the yellow pages, right? Like I don't mm -hmm. really know what to look for, what to do. I just knew something was wrong and I didn't want to tell anybody. Yeah. So um, I went to a therapist and she didn't know how to diagnose me or treat me. She didn't, she actually tried to convince me that the thoughts were real. So um you know, I didn't want to live that way. And again, yeah. I'm, I'm giving you the Coles notes of, of yeah, yeah. what would happen. Uh, I would make an attempt at my own life two weeks after that. So, yeah. you know, by not going and getting the proper help, ended up putting me in actually a worse place. Unsuccessful, of course. Um, you know, I, I decided I would just spend the rest of my life living like this. I'm just going to deal with it, deal with yeah. the panic attacks. I'm going to live yeah. like this. Um, I get traded to Vancouver. Um, and my Sorry first year about that. Yeah, right. My first year in the NHL, do great NHL rookie, but I'm still having all these crazy thoughts in my head, an epic war of, yeah. of, of what's going on in my head. And uh, eventually mental health is like anything. And then you and I know this, that if you don't get it treated, it's like a broken leg. You can't just walk around with a broken leg for three years and pretend it's not happening, right? Yeah. Eventually yeah. it's going to come to the forefront and you have to get treated. So yeah. I get to a point where I get back to being almost debilitated again. My second year in the National Hockey League, um, I can't play. I end up, you know, uh, telling a coach I can't play. My teammates are looking at me. I lose 30 pounds. Uh, I'm trying to play in the National Hockey League at 140 pounds. I'm pretty much just done. Like, this yeah. is it. I'm done. Either I yeah. take my own life or I go and get help. So I reach yeah. out to a trainer and basically give them those that. And uh, it was then after that, um, again, these are the Coles notes. There's, there's a lot more to it. But again, after that, um, I get diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. So I suffered for like three years, uh, not knowing what this was, panic attacks, depression, uh, roundabout circle of just trying to figure out what these thoughts were. And all I had to do was kind of reach out and talk to somebody and get the proper help. Uh, yeah. It's not quite that easy, but no. I was diagnosed within 15 to 20 minutes. So, you know, one yeah. attempt on my life was going to make another. Um, yeah and found someone and got diagnosed. From there, it was a long ride from there and, and 10 years to find the proper therapy, getting diagnosed with the first start, 10 years from that, yeah. getting um, the proper therapy that finally helped me. 10 years after that, to my article coming on the Players' Tribune, you can read it in detail and that's a lot more in depth. Um, it's yeah. dark, dark in the Players' Tribune. Um, so 20 years from you know diagnosis took me to come out with my story, to feel safe to come out with my story, which all of that, in a nutshell, in a summary, is 
you know, I almost died because I wasn't educated on any of that stuff in high school that could have saved yeah. me so yeah. much pain uh, yeah. and suffering. And we still don't teach our kids, right? I mean, what if I didn't know what that was that day? I could have went and got the help, uh, would have yeah. never gone down that path. It's OCD is very, uh, it's such a, there, there's such a, a great recovery from it, but it can be. Yeah. So why don't we teach kids? Why don't we educate them? Then from there, I suffer. Most people don't get diagnosed between, you know, it takes them nine to 12 years from onset of symptoms to get diagnosed if they make it that far. And then after that, 10 years to find the proper help way too long, which is, you know, another thing that's going on. And then 10 years after that, to finally, we're in a place where the stigma, um, I felt safe enough to tell my story. And I don't know if you felt the same way, Kendra, but we're in a place now where at least we can tell our stories. Whereas, you know, 20 years ago, uh, 25 years ago, I was in the NHL. I wasn't telling anybody, not a yeah. chance, right? Especially yeah. my teammates. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and then to come find out now through COVID, um, I've been diagnosed with ADHD or ADD or whatever, which um, I've probably had since I was a kid. And a lot of stuff is starting to make sense. So yeah, uh, it's an ongoing process, mental health, as you know. Um, yeah. And, but as far as, as that's kind of the Coles notes of the story. So I advocate now for uh, educating our youth. Um, yeah. You know, why are we not teaching our kids this stuff? Why are we not talking about depression, anxiety, suicide? Mm-hmm. Why are we not giving them the information, right? And we're mm-hmm. doing a disservice by not giving the information. And uh, that's long-winded, but that's uh, that's pretty much, uh, you know, like I said, the condensed version of my story. I did just ask you to summarize your whole life in, in moments. So it wasn't very long with it. <laughs> well, it's, well, yeah, it's, it's pretty much it. I'm just, it's still the Olympic silver medal, though. I mean, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> but that's another point. I have Olympic silver medal. Uh, yeah. The New York Rangers drank out of the Stanley Cup. And you couldn't tell me at that point how great my life was. Like, you yeah. can't tell people when they're in that. Pointing out yeah. how great their life is, is not going to help. Right? It only made no. me feel worse no. feeling that way. Well, yeah, because then I think the expectation yeah. to hide it is greater. It, it's kind of like, well, the rest of the world looks at me and I have got literally not a single reason to complain. I'm sitting in a position that many people would give anything to be in. And yeah. and I, I can't sit there and say I'm not okay. I can't sit there and say my world feels like junk right now. Um because it's almost you fear that extra judgment of what do you have to complain about? Like you're, what what do you possibly have to complain about? Um, exactly. And when you when you're like that, you, you feel bad yourself. Like it, it's oh like, yeah, yeah. Right. You you put why 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 like look at my life. I have this great life. But when your mental health is is not there and it's not you know it's it doesn't matter what you tell me. Like it 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 didn't matter. Um, so, you know, like, again, that's, uh, I just, that's why I try and talk and educate people as you do, you can yeah. and on your stuff. And I love your stuff too, as well, about how you're educating people. Well, and it's, I think that, you know, coming back to educating people and starting with kids and stuff, and, and I think we're starting to see it um, kind of trickle in, not anywhere near at the pace that I would want it to be. And there's so many restrictions in place and there's so many. I mean, I'm still shocked when I when I am asked to share my story and then I get told I'm not allowed to share my story because it, it goes against, you know, what you're allowed to talk to students about. And I'm sitting there going, my goodness, like my story is very like PG, like my story is not one of shock and horror and um trauma and and that's not to say that the underlying feelings weren't those things but it's not like i'm coming to tell of of things that are going to negatively impact somebody and it scares me because it's almost like there's so many people and organizations and systems that are afraid of yeah afraid of of the hard conversations are hard of afraid of what makes it you know awkward for us and, and i find that those are the people that struggle the most to have this conversation i mean it, it, you share your story with me and i know your story obviously and we've spent time together so it's it's not like i'm hearing it for the first time but then when you actually step into it for a second and try to consider what that means like what it means to be irrationally just terrified 
as you're standing on one of the biggest sporting stages in the world and trying to pretend you're okay. And I mean, I have a glimpse of what that feels like. I clearly, you know, I, I had to, to give that up a bit sooner than you, but it's, uh, you know, I don't think that that's, that's comfortable for people. People don't want to step into that. People don't want to understand what could lead somebody to feeling like the only answer is to end your own life. Yeah. And, and how do we change that? How do we get people to understand that it's, it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to, it's okay for me to look at you and say, you know what, Cora, like, I know you're off right now and you're like, you know, whipping circles around me right now, but I don't know what to do to slow you down, but I'm here. Like, talk me through this. Talk to how, how can I help you? Like, do you need me to, do you need like a sleepy tea or what do you, what do you need? Right. Well, and that's, you know, like another thing that I educate, like I, I've run into the same things too, right? If you're going to talk yeah. about suicide, don't come to our school. You know, I've, I've had oh. Right. And not talking about suicide is what is creating suicide. You make people feel mm -hmm. worse. You push them further into hiding. Talking about suicide actually helps people to let them know yeah. that they're alone, that they, you know, the other people have been through this, they've gotten through it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've all, you, you put up a, in a room full of people, I think Michael Landsberg told me once that he, he asked people and, um, you know, you put in a room of who's, who's thought about, you know, suicide at some yeah. point in their life yeah. and 80% of the room puts up their hand and the other 20 yeah. is too afraid. Like we've yeah. all had, now have you gone forward with it or whatever? I mean, that's a whole nother level. But my biggest thing too is, is that I'll ask people, like if someone's struggling, that's one of the first questions I ask them. Are you thinking? Absolutely. I don't know. You yeah. don't need to say, Hey, are you thinking of killing yourself? Do you think it's, yeah. are you thinking of hurting yourself? That's all yeah. you got to say. And it's not a question to, so I can get somebody committed. It's a question so that I know what direction to go in to help this person. Right. Like yeah, what, well, I, what level are we at? And I think that's the thing too. I think almost by starting at that question at starting at a place where it's um, kind of the extreme, you know, it, it's not like you're saying, you know, you're feeling off or you're having a crappy day. Like you're not tiptoeing into it. You're essentially getting right to the, the point, which is yeah. how worried do I need to be about how unstable you're feeling right now? And I yeah. think right away that takes a lot of the weight off the person you're asking because now it's on the table. Now it's yeah. wow. Like you're considering that this might be my current reality. Maybe it is okay for me to admit to that. Maybe it is okay for me to to talk to you. Maybe this is a safe conversation space. Um, you just said something a second ago, and that was the other part that I want to touch on that, that I think bothers me a lot is the misconception of being committed. Um, yeah. I think there's a lot of people who still believe that they need to not ask for help or admit what's going on because they fear being committed. They, they yeah. fear somebody forming them they fear you know uh they just fear that process that that experience like we're and, gonna put this white straight jacket and we're gonna put you yeah, right and we're gonna no that's yeah not, there's gonna be this rubber should. room and it's gonna be yeah. like i just it, it really kind of it, it gets me and the other part that gets me is it's not easy to get committed like you 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 have to be in a fairly dangerous position for them to actually take you in. And, and you know, that's both a perhaps reassuring to some, but also the faults of, you know, the room we have in our system for people who are in crisis. Because quite frankly, we don't have enough services and supports in the psychiatric institutions to service everybody who's at that level of crisis. We, we just, you hear all the time people going to the emergency room saying, I want to die, and they're getting sent home. And they get turned away. And then you and, know, the, the heart, disheartening ones is they get turned away, and then they end up yeah. you know, jumping off the bridge. I've heard those too, right? Like, there's our I, system yeah. is, so, is so broken. It's so broken. Um, and we got to find ways to help these people. And that's why, like, that's why I love what you're doing, Kendra, is educating people. That's how we're going to help people. Right. Well, and that's, to be honest, Corey, I mean, you and I, 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 I try to align myself with people who are similarly minded, just because to me, I think the process of having open, open conversation and discussion is so much easier with somebody you feel comfortable with. And I mean, you're, you're somebody that 
checks in on me or somebody that if you know I disappear from social media for a few days and and you know you're the you're the guy who recognizes it and texts me and says you know where are you at you good uh, and like that's the kind of accountability I think that we need to create at this level it's it's exactly why the community that I've created exists it's simply because for every gap there is in the system there's a person who has the ability to just show up in that moment and and knowing that somebody validates that you're not okay knowing that somebody is willing to step up with you and say i can't fix it but i'm here um that makes a world of difference it truly i always use the term it takes a village with mental health oh certainly right you have to have your your circle of people that are looking out for you and and so that's you just hit one on the head right there if someone disappears for a while something's up yeah like there's a there's a sign there's a it, maybe they maybe they want to break from social media or whatever but if they're not answering your texts and yeah. you know, maybe yeah. maybe 24 hours is fine but if it's like two three days and they're yeah. only active like you gotta those are that's a sign right there that yeah. someone needs you to check in on them right like absolutely and that's why we need a group of people and even if you think that you're mentally sound and all this stuff and you're doing great or whatever it doesn't hurt to have friends that you check in on them. They check yeah. in on you. Everybody's yeah. doing okay. You know, yeah. that's what's. And, and I think that level of accountability is so relevant. And, and people don't understand how powerful their place is in that because we all have the ability to fill one of those, those roles for people, right? Like if you, you know, somebody's off, you know, somebody's hurting, you know, maybe you don't have infinite time to give maybe you don't have the right resources to offer or maybe you don't even feel comfortable dealing with it but to just show up and say are you okay and if the answer is no and you're not comfortable dealing with it who do we need to put you in touch with you know you can you can play the role that you feel comfortable playing and still be a hell of a support yeah and you know what i I finally got comfortable with telling people that no i'm not okay right yeah okay it used to be the you know the, the old saying uh handshake. hey how are you i'm good right <laughs> uh, uh, so now i've finally got to the point when when someone says how are you doing ah you know what I, i'm not i'm not there to make it a, a bitch session or or to, to yeah. complain or to right but you know what i'm not not doing great you know there's there's yeah. things going on i mean i'm not going to say that to everybody but the people i trust the people in my circle yeah. Oh, finally to the point where I'll be like, no, you know what? I'm not, I'm not doing that great. It's been a tough week. I'll get through it. And they, I don't need them to sit there and hold my hand and have a 40 yeah. conversation. I, you yeah. know, it might be a two minute. Okay. Well, you know what? Let me know what I can do. And now, nah, you know what? I'll get through it. Just check on me every once in a while. And that might be the yeah. end of the conversation, right? Like exactly. Yeah. We're all afraid of these long in-depth conversations where someone's going to just, and no, that's for your close friends, but you know, like, like just ask and someone might not come to you right away. It might be two weeks, it might be a month, yeah. it might be two months. Right? Absolutely. But if you let them know that you're there to listen and that you're, you're good. Um, you yeah. Know, that's, that's what, that's what we're there for. Right. So let me dive into the most, the most known part of your diagnosis in terms of what's out there is obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, now OCD is one of those ones that pisses me off. It pisses me off one because I have OCD and it isn't the most prevalent of my diagnosis, but it certainly is there. Anytime my anxiety gets bad, I get into that irrational kind of compulsions. Um, It pisses me off because it's one of the ones that you hear everybody refer to all the time. So incorrectly. And it's, it's like this trendy, Oh, I'm, I've got OCD or I, you know, like I just cleaned my house, so I must have OCD. And I, I, the reason I think it bothers me so much is because I don't think people quite understand the torment that happens internally um, when you're facing those compulsions and they're real and they are, they are messy and they don't make sense. And, you know, we fight to get through them. Like, I mean, at one point it was like, the worst day of my life when my psychologist was like, I want you to go home and take your, your DVDs out of alphabetical order. And I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I can't live like this. I think that was the day I put all my DVDs away. I was like, I can't look at them like that. But yeah, do you, do you find that? Do you, do you face that? How do you, well, that's you just kind of let it blow off and, and whatever it's, it's, 
ignorance. So that, I mean, like, yeah. give us an example. What's what's so one of your? Where, yeah, that's where my articles. Yeah, that's I think where my article really came out, and, and people were like, because I have I have what's uh, I have pure OCD, so I do everything in my head. You never be able to yep. see it. Like okay. it's in my place, that, and I'm not very organized, and I'm not this and that. It just that doesn't bother me. And watching, yep. I don't do any of that stuff. People yep. thought of all that. I do everything in my head. So yep. you know, there's there's harm OCD, there's sexual intrusive, there's religious, there's a few other ones. But um, for me. Yeah, I did everything in my head, so you couldn't see it. So I could, I could live outwardly, yeah. but we'd be having a conversation, and you know that I'm not there. I'm not in the yeah. conversation, right? Yeah. Like my head is yeah. to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Um, the way I describe it, um, you know, it is if you're driving down the road, we've all had that thought of swerving our car, that little impulsive. Well, what if I swerve my car into the other lane, and another car's coming this way? And, and yeah. you know, a normal brain. Yeah. Well, or what is considered an oral brain would just continue to go on your day. You'd go home to your emails. You wouldn't think twice about it. Mm -hmm. Me, I would go home. I'd wonder why I had that thought. I'd be wondering if I wanted to kill myself, kill somebody else. I'd be wondering yeah. uh, if that made me a horrible person. And then I would just never drive my car again, right? Yeah. Like Because I yeah. wouldn't want that to happen. I would go to the extreme. So for me, OCD is, is kind of, is, is in that realm. Um, and that's why my article, I think, hit home was is people are like, it's not just and washing them like yeah yeah uh, oh and i tell people okay well you're clean you're ocd okay well have you ever not been able to leave your apartment for four hours because yeah. you have a speck of dust or your blue shirts aren't lined up properly or yeah. you couldn't get out of bed because yeah. you're afraid that the minute you stepped out over the over the threshold of your door that that um you know four babies in africa were gonna die <laughs> like something yeah. just out of you know that yeah. your head just makes up out of nowhere yeah. that's totally irrational that's yeah. OCD, right? Yeah. Not that. Oh, I'm just a clean person, and, and yeah. I just keep my house clean. No. Yeah. Uh, have you ever been suicidal because your house isn't clean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, no. Well, guess what? You don't have OCD. You're 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 just clean. yeah. You know, I get it. Yeah. So you, you I, just don't like being untidy. <laughs> it just it doesn't get the respect that it deserves because I know people that have taken their lives because of OCD, right? So I, absolutely, and I mean, they're yeah. it's tough, right? Because the frustration exists and then the frustration also has to be it, it has to come with the understanding that you know the education hasn't been there either so you know any depiction we've ever seen of ocd that's what it's been right it's that like frantic washing of your hands and that frantic grabbing a cloth to touch the door and you yeah. know it's like everybody's worst nightmare during pandemic time um but it, you know we haven't really had those kind of dark depictions of what's really actually happening internally for somebody who's having that struggle. And I think that we're seeing that with a lot of uh, mental health issues now is that, you know, there's obviously there's a spectrum of, of severity and there's a, there's a spectrum of how affected you are and how much uh, it affects your day-to-day -day life. There are very highly functioning people who are on many parts of the spectrum. And then there's people who are unfortunately unable to to get through their days with it um and i think that's true of all of them i mean you know you hear it all the time now i've i've i'm i i had a panic attack i had uh and it's you know it's i just wish the education was real enough that people could understand the severity of that because i find that sometimes when i'm seeing those conversations happen and ocd happens to be one that i see it the most there's just such a downplaying of what's actually happening. And I mean, I know people who I understand the torment of what they've been through. I mean, OCD is by no means my most prevalent. So I understand it in that when I'm anxious, I get very chaotic compulsions in terms of um, how I need things to be or wormholes my brain goes down because because I'm anxious and because I'm worried. Um, but the, it doesn't start with that for me. And yeah. so it just, it, it, it's one of those ones I think that, you know, a lot of people would benefit from kind of stepping back for a second and understanding the severity of it to, to have those, whether it makes sense to you or not. But, uh, you know, I see people who find OCD comical and it frustrates me because it's just kind of like, that's, could you imagine having such strong 
compulsive drive inside yourself that you can't actually exist without going through these motions yeah. or yeah. without these thoughts being so prevalent in your mind all the time. Well, it almost killed me. I mean, right, really, yeah. right. Like I almost yeah. like I'm lucky to still be here. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, OCD almost killed me. So I, I don't find it that funny at all either. No, right? no, right. absolutely not. And, um, you know, I'll give you an example. So, I mean, one of mine was, is I had a severe early nineties. I had a severe fear of HIV. Like yeah. my OCD was part of it was, uh, uh, HIV. So, um, you know, I would go in the locker room and hockey players is blood, right? I would equivalate any kind of blood with, with HIV. And then I would go home and I'd hug my kids and I'd be like, I would think that I would give them HIV. And then so for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, it would be, you know, an irrational thought of you just killed your kid. You just killed your kid. You just killed your kid over yeah. and over and over and over and over and over again. And then me trying yeah. to figure out whether or not, you know, I got HIV from touching the doorknob because the player that just got stitches, uh, yeah. you know, touched it before I did. And then I went, right. Like just that irrational thinking. And I, and I, yeah. I know it sounds bizarre if you've never been through it, but it's a record player that I couldn't stop. And there was yeah. nothing I could do to stop it. Right. Like there yeah. was until I got therapy and medication. And, yeah. you know, and that's another thing is, is that medication saved my life. Right. Yeah. I know we have yeah. a long way to go with medications. And yeah, I yeah. wouldn't be here today without medication. And it, it pains me to see parents and I see a child struggling with OCD. And I've seen it. I've seen in camps where parents are fighting over whether or not to medicate their child, asking me yeah. whether and their kid can't lift their head off the desk. Yeah. because they're just yeah. so consumed and it just that's you know that's another part like i was talking about too is the medication saved my life i wouldn't be yeah. here um yeah. i don't you feel the same but um you know that for me was is a big part of it. yeah well it, it, for me uh, it was as well and i think that uh without having had this conversation i think we are fairly well aligned on this i, I don't advocate for or against it but i no, can certainly right. say i wouldn't have survived without it yeah. And I'm still medicated. Um, I have, I have tried to go without medication on a couple occasions and could I survive? Yeah. But my, my quality of life isn't as good. Yeah. Um, so why would I? And it, it's tough because it, I, I think one of the ones I heard the best, there was a doctor at Sunnybrook I was speaking to. And I said, you know, how do you approach this? When people ask you like, I don't like how the medication makes me feel or the medication makes me feel numb or I, it makes me, and you know what, I'm not going to bullshit. Like there are some side effects to, <laughs> to medications that takes some getting used to. And quite frankly, to me, those side effects are far more manageable and became far more manageable than what I was living with before that. Um, but he said to me, you know, I, I always challenge that. And I asked the question back, which is what if it's not making you somebody else, but giving you the opportunity to be who you could be. And I, right. I've always liked that wording because to me, that's exactly what it was. You know, medication didn't fix me, but it killed the extremes. And some would argue that that's numbing. you. Some would argue that, you know, that's, that's dumbing down how you're feeling. Um, but what wasn't normal, what what the abnormality was, what the illness is, what the disorder is, it's actually those extremes. Normal people don't feel extreme panic and anxiety 24-7 for no reason. Normal people don't feel clinical depression 24-7 for no reason. Yeah. And what that medication did was kind of close those extremes in and gave me a chance to learn everything else I needed to do to live with this illness. And so I'm somebody who advocates that I think you need to be open to every possibility of what exists as a support, as a strategy for living with mental illness and find what works for you. There are gonna be people where medication isn't the answer. There are going to be a lot of people who will never know that medication could have changed their entire life because of the stigma around taking medication. Yeah. And that piece sucks. That piece has to go because you would never see a diabetes patient say, I'm not taking the insulin. You would never see a cancer patient say, I'm not doing chemo, so to speak. Um, yeah. If, if that's what's, if that's what's necessary to support that illness. 
and that's, uh, you know what, I, I couldn't agree more because um, when I look at my own life, um, I've been on medication, off medications, on medications, and I'm finally realizing that, you know, it's taken me a long time because I, I nobody, nobody loves to be on medication, right? I mean, nobody, no. nobody, but all of us are taking some form of medication. I, I don't know anybody that is my age or, or, or our age that isn't on something because they're, need to. Is it our age? Are we the same age? I, I don't know. I'll just say my age, which, I'm, <laughs> but um, what I don't like, I don't like being dead because that's a possibility. If I don't yeah. right? I'm no good to anybody dead. And yeah. for the most part, that's, you know, that's a small part. The most part is, is that I've got probably 40 car crashes behind me when I'm not on my medication that I'm trying to yeah. do damage control on. And I'm talking yeah. about my life. You know, people that, uh, you know, that maybe I, I, I avoided because, I, you know, or or maybe I said something or maybe I did something or because uh, I'm not on my medication. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. it when I'm not on my medication, my whole life is damage control. And I, I, I struggle getting things done. I struggle, yep. with, you know, um, not that I'm a bad person or anything, but I just it just doesn't help me. And I'm yep. so much better for the people around me, like even my relationships, right? Like, yeah. um, I, uh, I noticed that if I'm not on my medication, uh, I can fly off the handle over something yeah. really simple at my partner. Yeah. I didn't yeah. deserve that. Right. So yeah. why would I do that to somebody else? And then I'm ruining a relationship that I actually want over because I, I, you know, I won't medicate. Yeah. That's just, to me, that's ludicrous. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's, that's another thing too. And, and, um, I start, I, I, stopped drinking probably about a month ago um, amazing and, yeah you know and I got a long way to go but uh, Kendra and, and I'll, I'll be honest it's people like you that 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 really inspired me to do that because it, I got to the point where I was like okay I'm taking uh, I take Vivance for my ADD I take uh, Cipralex for my uh, my OCD uh, I'm taking another medication because I have um, you know bad restless leg whatever yeah um, so I'm taking, I'm taking three medications right now and then I'm pouring alcohol on top of it. Yeah. Like about yeah. two glasses of wine. Like yeah. what did I think was going to happen? Right. Yeah. Like, and, yeah. and even, even if I, even if I wasn't on those medications, alcohol doesn't help. Yeah. It, it doesn't do me. It doesn't make me a better person. Right. Yeah. So three out of 10 times. Yeah. I'll have a great time. Seven yeah. times. <laughs> I'm waking up the next morning going, what the hell did I say on Twitter? Oh my yeah. God. It's on Instagram. Oh my God, yeah. my partner's looking at me like I said something, right? Yeah. So I've come to the realization and I got a long way to go, but alcohol doesn't, it's not good for me. It doesn't help me. Yeah. It doesn't make yeah. me a better person, right? It, and I think that's, uh, it, it's tough, right? It's a tough conversation because it's a tough one to hear. I mean, I was in my 20s when the doctor said, you got to stop. And I went, huh, like, <laughs> where did my social life just go? How do you... <laughs> That's me the last four years, right? Like, <laughs> well, it, it, it's funny though, because I find others struggle with my sobriety more than I do. I, it's been so long for me. I haven't had a drink in 20 years. Yeah. Um, and so I find other people are more uncomfortable being around me knowing I'm sober than vice versa. I, it doesn't bother me at all. I, yeah. I, I have wholeheartedly accepted the fact that I love life and I want the best life I can possibly have. My diagnosis, there is science to support the fact that alcohol will make me feel worse. Black and white. There's no gray area to it. Alcohol will never be good for depression. It will never be good for anxiety. It will never be good for panic. It, it feels like you could argue otherwise in the moment. It certainly feels like you could, you know, pull off like that epic lawyer moment where you can't handle the truth, but you know what? It's just, it's science. It just doesn't work that way. It's a depressant. You're going to feel like crap for it. Eventually it's going to catch up. Yeah. And so to me, I mean, I think that if people ask me, you know, how do you, how do you maintain your recovery? How do you stay stable most of the time? And the answer is I focus on staying stable. Most of the time you eliminate the dips and when you eliminate the things that push you down here and you eliminate the things that put you way up here, you end up in a place where, you know what? Yeah, every once in a while I get jealous that my buddies are out getting just off their minds because they don't want to deal with, you know, the last U.S. political announcement or 
trust me there's i i get it i get i get the appeal but to me that appeal is so short-lived and i get to i get to live the rest of my life really happily and healthily and full of energy and positivity and not feeling that i've done that to myself and i think that was the other piece is it, it i got to, to feel like okay yeah, i can i can numb myself i can make this disappear for the moment but I, i'm also part of the reason i feel like this yeah i'm not sitting here advocating for people to not drink i mean it's up to each individual it's like, absolutely you know, right absolutely but for me yeah. it's like you know i have a mental health issue i'm on exactly like exactly um what it, you know like like you said the highs and lows in the last month since i've i've cut i've cut it out and i've cut it out before but i've never really i've never really took it that seriously like yeah. I, I think i'm I, I hope i'm at a point where i'm done yeah. you know, i'm gonna get yeah free for it and all that stuff but um yeah. i just came to the realization that it's not good for me i'm, I'm not yeah i'm not a good person when yeah. I'm, you know like yeah. i'm I, and i'm so, the same i'm a different person I, yeah. I keep a bar in my house. Like I, I'm the same. I, I don't have any issues with anybody else enjoying it. There's a lot of people in the world who alcohol doesn't have the same effect on them that it's going to have on, on my body, but I want to feel my best. So I'm not going to, but shit, I'll, I'll pick up a nice bottle of wine. If somebody's coming over for dinner when it's right. not cold, when it's not COVID time. Um, and, and I also, I say that with responsibility, I understand that for a lot of people living in sobriety, that's also not an option. So I'm not suggesting you have to have that level of, but, it, but for me personally, it's just, it's no judgment. It's just a matter of, yeah. I want to feel healthy. I want to be healthy. I, I want to stay good. I want to stay happy. Um, yeah, so I try to make those choices. Well, that's to where COVID is kind of like, has put a lot of my issues and insecurities and all those things I was trying to avoid, COVID has actually put them right in my face. Yeah. I can't avoid them any longer. And I'm actually thankful for that because, yeah. you know, I got to face them head on. And there's, uh, just because you get diagnosed with OCD, at, I, I just think I was 24 when I finally got diagnosed doesn't mean that the rest of my life, I'm just free of everything else, right? I don't get yeah. a pass on yeah. else. I still got to work every day on me. I still got to work on, you know, becoming a better person, a better partner, yeah. um, whatever it is, right? Because the alternative isn't, isn't good. And, um, you know, and just even like for uh, relationships, I've been with my, my, uh, my girlfriend for the last almost eight of the last 10 months where, you know, we've had, we woke up every day and it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week staring at each other because she couldn't go into work because of COVID. And I was off because the NHL was off. So now yeah. you're looking at each other. Right. And we've actually done quite well when, when I, when I consider it, but we had our moments where it's yeah. like, I've had to face anything in a relationship that I um, struggled with in the past is right in front of me. And, yeah, uh, you know, and I've had my heart broken, a few other times where I'm like, you know, if I continue to go down this path of whatever it is in a relationship, uh, that's going to happen again. So guess what? Better fix it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because the alternative sucks. So yeah. it's been interesting that way as well. Yeah. Well, and I mean, uh, and you know, you're certainly, my you're certainly somebody who's lived through and learned some things the hard way. So it's, uh, it's not as though um, it's always been easy for you to arrive at that at that uh, at that solution that you had to internalize it that you had to face those things. Um, you you have had loss. You have had uh, situations with partners where it's it's been tough. So I mean, I I I happen to agree with you. I'm one of those people who kind of likes the the challenge. I kind of you know, I, I like, I like that I have mental illness. That feels really <laughs> asinine to say. Well, um, some version of that, that doesn't make me sound committable. Um, but I, I, I appreciate what it's taught me about myself. I appreciate what it's allowed me to invest in myself and forced me to learn. Because I think, you know, there's a version of me that always could have just pushed through and and 
and maybe scraped by and maybe survived. Um, you know, there's that, there's that question of if you could change one thing in your life, you know, what would it be? And my first answer wouldn't be to get rid of my mental illness. Is that, no. And that's because it's made me who I am. It's, it's exactly. Me, uh, any win I ever got in the NHL Olympics or whatever, nothing compares to when you help somebody, right? Like, no, that's true. They, that, yeah. that doesn't even compare to yeah. um, anything when, when you help somebody. So it, that, so when you when you say that I'm not I'm not surprised by you say that I, I you know yeah. I mean, do I wish I didn't have it yeah I mean but it wouldn't be the first thing I get rid of right yeah. You know, yeah it made me who I am it's made me help be able to to you know connect with people such as yourself you know like yeah Michael Landsberg Sheldon Kelly like I've made great friends yeah. um and the best day honestly Kendra too and I don't know if you felt like this was when I did come up with my story because the chains fell off right yeah. like no yeah. more hiding. You know, this is this yeah. is why I was the way I was. This is I wasn't I wasn't doing things to be a bad teammate. I was I was struggling, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and but then the chains come off, and when I go and walk into a room now, I'm not hiding, right? I'm yeah. not sitting there going, "Geez, I hope someone doesn't know that I have this, or maybe I won't get hired for this job." Now, hey, yeah. either you want me or you don't, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah it, you know the story. You know what it is, um, and actually. I find that people are more drawn to me now than before when I would didn't, right? Like when, yeah. when I was kind of just hiding in my mouth. Well, because you would have been more standoffish, right? I, yeah. I think in order to protect our secrets, we were probably far more uh, introverted, even though we were out in public. It was very much like, I'm not letting you close to me. I'm not letting you pass the walls. I'm not letting you pass the image you see of me. Um, because the second I do that, I'm going to fall apart. And I, I agree. I, th I think I found it, it was absolutely liberating and empowering to get to that place where choosing honesty and choosing vulnerability and being real about it helps a lot. Um, it, and it's weird, though. I mean, I, I say that and I, I want to say it carefully because I don't want everybody to go run out to the world right now and and share all their deepest darkest secrets yeah. and think that it's going to be a, a heyday and and it's great um it came with some pain it came with facing people that i had um i had people who were mad at me that i hadn't been honest with them i had people who uh really kind of made me feel as though I should have handled it differently which now I agree now hindsight obviously 2020 um absolutely and I'm so grateful that I have those people that they were so hurt by the fact that I had felt the need to hide it from them but I've also gotten to a place where I can have a calm conversation with them and have them understand that you know I, I'm really sorry I lied to you but at the same time I couldn't have a rational thought about letting you go to the bathroom without me following you down the hall so you didn't leave me in a room alone. So it, it, just please don't, you know, expect that I could have had a rational conversation with you to protect your emotions in this because I was a shell of myself. Yeah. Um, and, and it's uh, it's tough, right? Because it, it was honestly, it was Luke Richardson's daughter's suicide that that got me talking and that finally convinced me to share so um i went through a, a pretty intense kind of period when that when that happened and it was kind of like i just internalized this expectation that i would not be a part of of the secrecy anymore i wouldn't be a part of the problem i, I didn't want to be somebody who was afraid to stand up if it meant somebody else could find a different way and 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 that's kind of what drove me but it was intense yeah well and that's you know and, and i'm so glad you did right like i'm so glad that yeah you, yeah because of the of the people well there's no have. turning back you used to google yeah. me and it would be hockey and now you google me and it's like hi i know exactly right and that's um you know, and that goes to, to even Luke Richardson's daughter. I don't know much about the story, but again, you know, it goes back to, um, you know, for me, educating our kids, right? Like our kids yeah. need help. Because yeah. there's yeah. there's a kid out there, there's a Corey Hirsch out there right now that doesn't know what's going on in his brain and is trying to figure exactly. it out. I get texts and emails all the time, as do yeah. you, probably, right? Yeah. There's a Kendra Fisher out there somewhere, um, you know, just begging for any kind of love. Poor world. 
right? So we need to, we need to be able to do that. And that's, yeah. um, that's what drives me anyways. Yep. Um, oh, know? certainly. I wish I could wave a magic wand and get it all done, but I have ADD now, so I can figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I get Shiny penny squirrel. <laughs> what? Where? Shiny penny squirrel. <laughs> squirrel, what? Yeah, what? yeah that's, exa that's exactly it. So, I'm allowed yeah. to make a little fun of you. Sorry. No, and, you know, but even with ADD, like I'm learning so much more. My goodness. Like I didn't realize yeah. about, like just of how I always thought. Well, it, and it's the emotional was, impact, right? right? But it's the emotional impact. I mean, it's it's uh, it's really tough when you're not finding peace, when you have no ability to calm yourself, the ability for your emotions to be explosive and responsive in an irrational way, it takes over. And I see it often. And there's so many instances of, you know, people getting pissed off at kids because they think they're just being brats or people, you know, who, who get angry at others who are, are flying off the handle without ever actually understanding the severity and the legitimacy of what it is again, to be rapid cycling and, oh and not be able to slow it down. And it's that emotional roller coaster, right? Like, I'll yeah. go, you know, and I, I, I'm starting, I'm just learning about a lot of it. There's a lot of things that ADHD and bipolar cross over with. I mean, there's yeah. a, a significant difference once you get yeah. into it, but that emotional roller coaster, I always yeah. just told people, that's just me. I'm just yeah. dealing with it. I'm an emotional roller coaster. And yeah. now I'm starting to realize, oh, that's not normal. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and the emotional roller coaster, what it did to me is, is that I'm starting to realize is that the, the 10 car crashes behind me are because one day I was up, one day I was down, next minute I was up, this, and then I said something over here, right? It's like, so again, that's where medication helps me be able to process things so that I don't get on them and I make good decisions. You know, some yeah. of the poor decisions I've made are because, you know, now I'm learning that possibly because I need medication to be able to reg regulate that emotional roller coaster, right? So yeah. I can think properly. When my head's spinning, yeah, I'll get you know forty different answers, and I got to pick one, yeah, uh, on a on a problem, yeah, and yeah. You know, whereas it's it it doesn't need to be that way. So yeah. for me, um, that's again it goes back to for me medication, uh, yeah, keeps me where I can make good decisions. Yeah. Um, well, and that's the thing. That's exactly my response internally in my head with my anxiety or my panic is I just get to when I have that general angst and when I have that feeling of unsettled. And everything just gets racy. And once it starts racing, it's kind of like you're the, the worst, the worst, the worst. It's like, I'll be sitting there and I'm trying to calm myself down. I'm trying to just like zone out for a bit and I'll throw on a Netflix show or something. And then I'll see an actor come up on the screen. And I'm like, oh, that actor was in another show. And then it's like, I got to grab my phone and now I got to Google what show that actor's from. And then, you know, their co-star in that show is in another show that I know. And I'm just, now I've got like these and it's, yeah. horrible like it and that becomes the thought process when you're you know you'll be doing grocery shopping it's like well do i want this brand or this brand and my gosh it could just turn into the most complex debate in your head that you've ever had in your life and the impact on people around myself and probably yourself too yeah. as well that's where it, i think I, it hurts the most because even though i've got all this stuff going on in my head mm -hmm. if i'm depressed and i'm standoffish yeah they feel like it they caused it and yeah. I can make people feel really shitty around me. Like I can make yeah. them feel really, um, yeah. and it's not even their fault, but they, they, you know, I can, it, it can make them feel like, you know, they've caused it in some form Absolutely. and then, and then it hurts relationships. Right. So, yeah. you know, because I can be really high one day. I love you. You're the best. You're the greatest, you know, when all yeah. this, and I'm going and I got all this. And then when I'm down and depressed, I can, I can pull back, not yeah. talk to someone for two days and how do you yeah. think that, that person feel when, right? That's that emotional roller coaster that that I want off. Um, yeah. You know what? I'm going to bug you. I'm going to throw you on the spot yeah. right now. I'm going to bug you for another hour sometime this month. And uh, we'll add to that because I think that's something we could actually talk about. Uh, totally. Really just the effect on other people and the effect on people trying to support us and or being a support to somebody else. I mean, oftentimes it's... Uh, it's kind of like that radar, right? If you're somebody who understands mental illness, you can usually pick out when somebody else is struggling. 
and totally. you know kind of those impacts so if you're interested i'm gonna i'm gonna bug you for another date here I, i'm Always. doing this i'm doing this until uh n now february 13th at least because i promise these these fine folks that i'd be here through the lockdown so you just kill an hour jeez my goodness i know and that's what i'm saying right it's too easy when it's good people and you just want to talk and have honest conversation and and hope that you know that conversation gives somebody else the ability to maybe just pick up something that that can head them in the right direction Absolutely. um i would keep you all night but i know that you know you've got to go pretend to work tonight and 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 watch your uh, canucks lose to the oilers um no well, i do like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm just bugging you. I'm just bugging it's, you. For those you of you what? who don't know, Corey still does the commentary it's, for the Canucks. So well, and always in my heart, the Canucks, right? Because yeah. I, oh, you know what? I think you guys, you guys actually have a pretty good team right now, don't you? Very exciting to watch. You know what? Yeah. I want, but you know what? My true is the my, the Rangers because that's where I got drafted. That's fair. Madison's that's fair. So I, I have a tough time when the Canucks play the Rangers, but they don't have to play because it's a all Canadian division. Seventeen. Yeah. <laughs> this How's could be working? really cool moving forward. How's it working? How's it working? How are they like? Are you guys playing just in Canada? Yeah, just in Canada. So they and are there bubbles or is it home rinks? Home rinks. Um, okay. But media is not traveling with uh, yeah. any of the teams, so I don't have to travel on the road, which yeah doesn't bother me. But uh, so yeah. we'll do in studio on the road, and then at home we'll be at the arena, but okay. empty arenas. Um, but I think it's going to be really cool because they'll play like they'll play Calgary like ten times. And I can't yeah like i can't yeah like i can't even imagine right now i can't imagine being like like the yeah and calgary edmonton and then you look at like toronto ottawa toronto montreal yeah. like i just who You'll am i missing winnipeg where does where where does winnipeg fall in that who's yeah. Winnipeg's winnipeg like? to me is a wild card i don't yeah. i don't know like so four teams out of the seven will make the playoffs yeah um, so three are uh, so for me Ottawa. They're you know I, I don't see them rebuilding. I'm rebuilding, um, but after that you've got you know Montreal, uh, Winnipeg. Um, those two are the two wild cards. Montreal loaded up. They added a bunch of players, so they're much yeah. better. Winnipeg. Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. I don't. Yeah. I don't have an. To me, they're a wild card. Like they could. Who's be, their rivalry? Who's uh, their, their rivalry? Is is whoever will will play them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like that, they're like vancouver vancouver's looking for a rivalry for the last 50 years now seattle's coming in so that'll be yeah, Winnipeg, oh, nice. yeah i don't know who their, their rivalry would have been maybe minnesota but they're not going to play them anymore but anyways no. yeah so it's going to be it's a race to the finish it's 56 games um yeah and so is it regular season tonight yeah regular season first game but the canucks don't have jt miller due to covid reasons he didn't oh, no. have covid but he might have been exposed to it so, so that's going to happen all around the league, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Have, your top player has to sit out three or four games because. And how are they doing that? Is it just testing every. Testing. Yep. Yeah. And then they have to be honest if they've got the sniffles or whatever, it might be the flu, but they got to pull yeah. them out for yeah. COVID reasons, right? So yeah. gonna, that's, what's going to be interesting. Um, yeah. You know, you might see the, the Oilers lose Connor McDavid for three weeks, right? Yeah. Then where does that leave the Oilers? Did right? he have it? I don't know. The one guy I don't do know that had it was uh, Austin Matthews. Yeah. yeah, McDavid. I never heard about, and but not many other Canadian players. I don't know that had it. No, um, I, I do know that Matthews had it, and then uh, I, I remember it, they were all all pissy in the media because they didn't want to release names. Yeah. Well, you know what? And it's privacy, right? Yeah. There's so many layers of of information and misinformation and and at the end of the day hopefully everybody stays safe and and nobody makes any stupid decisions for money and instead it's about health first and and really that would be my biggest issue or my biggest yeah. uh yeah and nobody's thought. lying in the vaccines or anything like that which is which is good I'd, I'd hate to see the nhl or somebody get privilege over anything like that obviously i saw that at the beginning and then yeah. i saw that I, think I saw that of, uh, people were talking about the fact that the NHL was going to get access to the vaccine first. And I had spoken to a couple of people and knew that that wasn't the case. But again, that's a conversation that you you wage into and and it's just you're going to deal with the extremes and the inability to have 
I know for one that a guy like Bo Horvat or Connor McDavid are not going to take a vaccine before a frontline worker, even if it was yeah. them, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Why they wouldn't? They're just they're, no. I know. Everything's the same. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's all good. Hopefully by next year we're all vaccinated and we get back to real. Yeah. I I don't disagree with that. Um, okay, Core, I'm going to bug you. We'll set up another time. Thanks awesome. to everybody for joining us today. Uh, have a have a great first game back tonight. I'll uh, joining me in my humble. I love it. I love it. I really <laughs> like. I'm going to wait till I close you off, and then I'm going to judge the fact that you had your kitchen in the background, and I'm not at all. <laughs> I already told you. If I turned the Maybe. camera around, I'd, yeah. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, it was great. Got the helmet. The helmet's like the focal point. So I'm not even paying attention to your kitchen. Yeah. I love it. You have Thanks. a good night. Awesome talking sure. to you as always. You and too. I'll be in touch soon. Awesome. Thanks. Okay, take care. Cliff. Thanks for hanging out with us on another episode of Speakeasy, where we believe conversations are meant to be had out loud. Share this episode to help others find our show. And don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also join me at kfisher30 on Instagram as I travel across Canada and the U.S. tackling the current mental health crisis with colleges and universities.